What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. We have a Q&A podcast for you today. I put out your questions on Instagram, um, and I just gathered as many as I can, and I'm going to rant through them until there's no more left um, or until I cannot physically um, or mentally prepare myself anymore because it is at that dog end of prep whereby concentration is 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 sought after um, because the food is so low. Um, in fact, let me give you a little rundown of where I'm at with prep. Um, so my weight is pretty much stalled. Um, we don't need to consider the weight too much just because of the drugs that I'm taking. Obviously, I could be gaining muscle at this point, especially as I bring in stronger drugs closer to the competition. Um, but I am doing 45 minutes of cardio every single day except for pull and leg days, which is 30 minutes. This has not changed for the last two or three weeks. Um, that that's a, that's a good position for me in terms of like not doing too much cardio to take away from my training. Like that's a lot of cardio, of course, but it, it does get to a point where it's diminishing returns, and you do take away from your training performance. and And we're very very close to that, so it's just a case of balancing that constantly. Um, food is two twenty protein, two thirty. Sorry. 220 protein, 220 carb, and 30 fat on training days, so like 2,000 calories. Um, Non-training days is like, today is a non-training day, um, is 100 carb, 30 fat, and 220 protein. So this is like 1,400 calorie day, caffeine to the max day. Um, I'm still training two on, one off. Uh, I'm still taking fat burners and things. So we are like digging, digging to try and get... Basically, I'm just trying to get my lower back in. Like everything else is fucking shredded. Like my legs have never been this lean, this dense. Like my vastus medialis is shredded. My glutes are shredded. My hamstrings are shredded. My back just isn't for whatever reason. Um, So we continue the dig. Anyway, guys, let's jump into some questions. um, And I'm going to try and and remain as, as efficient and comprehensive as I can at the same time. So first question, fats in a gaining phase, how high should they go? So first of all, when it comes to macronutrition, when you're choosing your macronutrients, um, in terms of performance and bodybuilding, carbohydrates generally get prioritized, um, which means that fats tend to be a little bit lower. Um, now, we know that for a, for, for, for a gaining phase, we need a caloric surplus. So inevitably, we put carbohydrates up. Protein pretty much stays the same, but we put protein and, and, and uh, sorry, but we'll put, sorry, protein remains the same most of the time, um, if not come down. Um, and then carbohydrates and fats would be our, our go-to macronutrients to manipulate, right? With carbohydrates being um, at the forefront of manipulation on a training day. But here's the thing. Some people can't eat 800 grams of carbohydrates, so they might need to have 100 grams of carbs, uh, fats. Um, I wouldn't say there is ever a maximum amount of fat that you could eat because inevitably you just have to keep going up and up and up. Um, so until you find that position where you just, you know, you physically can't get any more food in, I wouldn't put a limit on fat. Um, I would just make sure you're getting very, very good quality sources of essential fatty acids. Um, you know, olives, olive oil, coconut oil, hummus, um, dark chocolate, all these different things, rather than just getting your, your, your trace macros, like from fat, you know, for example, there's like three or four fat in a bagel, if you're having six bagels a day like that's like 25 grams of fat just from bagels um so i would urge you to look more towards the quality of your fat um this is going to help 
it's going to help your lipids in general, just not having shitty fat. So it makes sense. Um, it makes sense. So I would not put a limit on fats in a gaining phase. I would not. If you could change one thing about your physique and why, I get this question a lot, which which I don't really have a problem with it. Um, but here's the thing, I'm dealt the cards that I've got, so I just have to deal with it. Um, but if there was one thing that I could change about my my physique right now, it would be just to get my back shredded. Like I am grainy, hard, dense everywhere except for my back. So if I could do that with my back, that'd be awesome. Which is strange because actually my back is fucking strong. Like it's strong and I get a good pump, I get a good connection and, and it is thick. It's just very hard to get dry and, and, and shredded for me. So that'd be the one thing that I would change right now. Um, yes. Do I crave anything outside of my diet and how do I deal with it? So yeah, 100%. Like I'm at that point now where every fiber in my body wants food. Everything everything is just telling me to eat. Um, so of course I crave foods. But at the end of the day, like my goal is way bigger than just like short-term satisfaction. I mean, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for that long run. I've got that long-sighted goal that I'm working towards day in, day out. And I know if I just threw it away to eat some food, that would satisfy me. For what? Like it would make me feel nice for approximately 30 minutes until I wanted to eat again. And then what? I'm going to eat again and I'm going to eat again. And, and you know what I mean? Like it doesn't get me anywhere eating off plan. It just takes me so much further away from the goal. Um, and like, this is why it's so easy for me on a refeed day to just stick to the, like, it's so easy for some people to justify putting something extra in. Oh, I've got 700 carb to eat. Cool. Let's fucking, let's get, let's get like a low calorie pizza base and have two of them. Like, no, 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 no. Like I will stick to the easy digestible food that is conducive to my goal. Um, and then I will only make a step towards my goal because I fucking want it. Like I want my goal. If 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 you, if you, if you, someone who's dieting or you're someone who's bodybuilding or you're someone who wants to make a huge change about your life and you physically cannot stay on plan you don't want it and that's what I would say and I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned as a coach is that some people just don't want it like you do and that's okay that's fine maybe they want something else but I would find I would I would I would, I would urge you to find it in, in yourself to stay disciplined because discipline goes so far um, like the metaphor of discipline in dieting takes you so far. Like, you know what I'm eating. You know how much I'm doing. I'm taking loads of drugs. I am starving every single day. But I ain't going to stop because I'm going towards my goal. And it's that discipline that will define the outcome that I have. And inevitably, whether I win or whether I won't win, my outcome will be better this way because I know that I've left no stone unturned. And I think that's something to take from it. So remain disciplined in everything you do. Does it mean it's easy? Does it mean you don't crave? Does it mean you can stay away from it? No, it doesn't. But just remain disciplined. That is how I deal with it. Um, 3D energy drink. I have my blue one back. I'm in heaven. Mm. It's literally like crack. But in slush puppy form. And no slush or puppy, and in a can. <laughs> um, improving your natural testosterone. Um, so I get this a lot. Um, I, I, I feel like we're in a society where like people think they should have a sex drive like massively high, and if they don't, then they think, I've got low testosterone. Well, they probably don't, first and foremost, if you're a young, healthy dude. You're probably all right. Um, but there are definitely things that you can do that will improve your natural testosterone 
if you're someone who is not taking care of these things. Now, first and foremost, body fat. The higher body fat you are, the higher estrogenic-related side effects you're going to have, um, regardless of the use of steroids or not, um, which is why you'll find the fat kids at school always had gyno, because they would have higher estrogenic-related side effects because of the high amount of body fat. So get leaner is my first tip. Make sure you, I wouldn't put a percentage on it. I would just say make sure you look fit, lean and healthy is, is generally like a good guide to go off. Body fat percentage is so variant on people. Like I've had my body fat tested at 25% when I've been, when I've had like pretty decent abs. I've seen people be tested at 20% and they've been absolutely fat as fuck. So I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take um, body fat testing too seriously. Um, but I would definitely consider putting yourself into a position where like you, you have abs and, and, and you have lean, you don't have any noticeable fatty deposits, you know, when you really gain like fat on the waist and, and thighs, inner thighs and shit like that, like that's not necessarily good fat. So get rid of it. The next thing, exercise. Um, we know that actually physical exercise and by by physical, I should state, I mean, resistance training, we know that resistance training will help boost testosterone and hormonal profile. Um, it's one thing that gets prescribed to middle-aged women, uh, sorry, middle-aged women, middle-aged men whose testosterone is dwindling, is to go in the gym, get muscle, you know, build your hormone. It's not that, I remember the, the, the bro myth back in the day was, oh, train your legs twice because there's a testosterone gland in there. No, 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 no. You release testosterone when you train. So just training in general will help release testosterone and boost that up. Also, the more muscle mass you have. So of course, training more, more muscle mass, more metabolism, more hormones. Um, another thing is to be aerobically fit. If you are aerobically inefficient, you have poor blood flow and poor circulation, which generally means poor health and well-being, which generally means poor hormones. Um, so I think that's another thing that you need to consider alongside nutrition. Are you eating horrible fats? Are you like, for example, are you eating KFC and all these horribly saturated fats? Are you eating f- things that may contain phytoestrogens? Are you drinking from water bottles that are plastic and have been there for, for weeks because all of these things can push estrogen up? Um, are you eating a lot of soy? Um, there are things that may play with your estrogen if you have low testosterone already. Um, like if you have a problem with testosterone, these things can help bring it back. Um, if again, if you have a problem with testosterone, like you genuinely have low testosterone for whatever reason, you can use things um, like diaspartic acid. I think there was a study done in mice, and, and they run in in mice that had low testosterone naturally um, or suppressed testosterone for whatever reason. So, for example, when I was natural. I competed and, and my testosterone dropped well below the natural range. I used this protocol coming out of a competition and I feel like I boosted up pretty quickly, but it was like diaspartic acid. It was about 12 to like 15 grams a day or something. Uh, quote me if I'm wrong, that might be an absolute massive amount of diaspartic acid. Um, but I'll find the study and I'll link it in the show notes. And they ran it for like two weeks and they noticed that testosterone boosted like 30 or 40% in, in these mice. So if your testosterone is dwindling, then something like a diaspartic acid might work temporarily, but it is not a long-term testosterone boosting solution. The long-term testosterone boosting solution is to get healthy, train hard, be aerobically fit, eat a wide micronutrition, um, and just generally focus on the quality of foods that you're eating, you know, especially with fats that are 
if we, we know that testosterone is a derivative of cholesterol. So, you know, you need to be eating that really healthy cholesterol and those good fats to be able to source the base of your testosterone um, and just make sure that you're on top of everything. Um, next question. Trace macros versus normal macros. I think the actual question was something about... Um, like, should I count the fats in like turkey mints and stuff? And 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 here's the thing about trace macros and normal macros. And this is people a lot, a lot of people get confused when I'm talking about like I don't count my trace macros and all this kind of stuff. So all macros count um, towards your calorie goal. The calorie goal is the most important thing. So if you were to ignore those trace macros and take away from your calorie goal it would be stupid because you would inevitably be missing some calories or, or, or you would be overestimating some calories depending on how you're tracking them. However, all I wanted to let people understand about trace macros is that you're not getting the bang for your buck from these macros. For example, let's take bagels, for example, and the protein in bagels, for example. The protein in bagels comparatively to like the protein in an animal protein is incomplete versus complete. Now, when we look at a complete protein, we just know that it's got a complete amino acid complex. It's got every single amino acid, including the essential amino acids, including leucine, the main building block for muscle protein synthesis. So we know that when we're comparing those proteins, you're getting more bang for your buck from an animal protein, a complete highly bioavailable source of protein. Similarly for fat, okay, there's like, there's like, one or two grams of fat in a bagel, but that one or two grams of fat would be better sourced elsewhere. If you look at 10 grams of fat from an avocado or coconut oil or olives or olive oil or any one of those amazing fat sources versus like 10 grams of fat from, you know, trace bagels and, and like, you know, whatever, whatever you're eating, waffles or whatever, whatever you're eating, like the bang for your buck from that fat is not going to be the same as what it would do if it was from an essential fatty acid. So all I want you to understand is where you are sourcing your macros from and, and are you accumulating a lot of these trace macros, which are taking away from possibly complete protein sources, along with essential amino acid sources. Um, along with essential fatty acid sources, are you missing these um, through trace macros? Carbohydrates is a little bit, you could probably just count all of them because there's nothing too too bad about fibrous carbs versus, you know, there's no like complete or incomplete carb, like a carb is pretty much a carb. Um, but it's more just take note of where they're coming from. Have you noticed that actually you don't eat any essential fatty acid sources of your 40 grams of fat that you have? Have you noticed that actually all of it is just trace? If that is the case, I would focus on trying to get some more essential fatty acids just for health and well-being, micronutrition, or think about fats, omegas, triglycerides, you know, all these things you are missing out on um, if you're not hitting those complete sources. Um, but you should still count everything. You should still count everything because everything does count um, at the end of the day. Money in the fitness industry, where does it come from? Um, fucking hell, you tell me. Um, so there's a few, maybe I'll talk about my streams of revenue because I am in the fitness industry, in case you guys didn't know. Um, so first and foremost, social media, I get paid from YouTube per view. Um, I don't get paid on Instagram at the moment. I don't even know how you get paid. I guess you get paid for paid promotions. So social media, paid promotions, I've had a few of those. Um, anywhere from like 100 to 300 pound per post. Um, obviously, you can see from my pages, I don't post loads. Um, I don't want to 
become saturated like fucking half of Instagram with every single post. But if it's a company that I that I want to work with and, and and I've got an interest in, then yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so social media posts, social media um, advertising from YouTube, um, then my online coaching, which is probably my biggest source of revenue, um, which all comes from Instagram and YouTube. People will then contact me. Will will then start um, my sponsors. I get a pretty good a good wage from my sponsors, who will give me a percentage of my discount code from MediChecks, Insight Supplements, and Love Hemp. They all give me a percentage of sales on my discount code. So this is why you'll see me talk about Insight Supplements and Love Hemp. And and while, like, yeah, I'm pushing these products, they're fucking good products. Like, I'm so glad that I work with a company that stocks so many different brands because I'm not pushing one brand. I could never push one brand of something um, and say this is the best one, you know. With MediChecks, like, this is the best one because it's the only private blood testing company. Um, with Love Hemp, like, I know that it's a high quality. Is it the best one? I don't know. Probably not, but I know it's a high quality and I wouldn't be able to recommend shit that I just know it isn't a high quality um, and with insight they, they, they speak for themselves um, furthermore like you know brand deals in general um, working like there's probably more scope to be able to be get like a permanent wage from these sponsors as your demand increases um, um, and then you know you just build on that and I think I think I think the most amount of money in this industry is probably from being able to build a brand for example like Alphalete like Gymshark um, I think a lot of money can be made there um, because it's bigger than what a single person can bring. For example, Guzman, it was always Guzman, Guzman, Guzman. Now it's always Alphaly, Alphaly, Alphaly. And that grows more than the person does. Being a single person, while you can have a huge following and be a personality, a brand can transcend that and can transcend more than one generation of people that just know, oh, it's Josh Bridgman, it's Josh Bridgman. You know, instead of like, oh, there's this company, there's that company. It can grow bigger. I think that's where the real money is. Um, and then, again, like a lot of people would do these like one-off training programs. You'll see, I think Brandon's got his like bigger arms, which he made like £100,000 off in like two months, which is disgusting. But is what it is. If you've got the demand, you supply the demand. Um and that's pretty much it. Um, and then competing, you can get a little bit of compete at competing, but most of it is brand deals, what you can do, what you can bring, what you can sell, apparel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you gotta drive it, you gotta you gotta drive it and you gotta make sure you got that that demand first. Otherwise, you ain't getting no money in this industry. Cause it's hard. It's, I've literally been doing this for like five years and it's only been on the fifth year that I've been able to make a living out of it. So work hard and it will come. Best pre-workout ever, MVPre. Um, I don't even need to spend longer than that. It's the best, the most consistent pre-workout I've ever tried. If you've not tried it, insightsupplements.com, Josh 10 for discount, Roadside Lemonade, or the Apple one, banging. You'll take off and never want to come back again. Um, educating yourself as a coach, good question. Where's the best sources of, of information as a coach? So for me... I learned until this year, I learned every single thing I knew off YouTube, podcasts, forums, and my own experience and my own clients' experience. So, first and foremost, get out there and do it. Show yourself you can do it. Experience it. Um, learn from other people's mistakes. Learn from other people's conversations. Learn from other people's podcasts, YouTube, social media. 
Um, and then invest into yourself. Something that I've done this year is I've been to three or four seminars this year. Yes, they cost me £500 a time, but the, the wealth of knowledge that I can bring from them translate into my business because I've paid nearly two grand you know, or more for seminars this year with many, many more lined up. My knowledge on exercise execution, my knowledge on nutrient timing, my knowledge on recovery and allostatic load increases, my service to my clients increase, my prices go up because of that, which then serves me back. Of that £500, if we want to break it down, that I've paid for that seminar, all I've got to do is put my prices up £20 for 10 people, you know, for 20 people and... I've I've nearly made my money back and then if we do that for two months my money is doubled so like 20 pound extra a month is only five pound extra a week to some people so it's not a lot but 20 pound extra a month per 10 people every single month that's an extra 200 pound a month just from the 500 pound investment that I've made which is a one-time thing so after three months I've already made 100 pound profit on that 500 pound that I've done so you've got to think about things like that and investing in yourself um and just make sure you're picking the right seminars. Make sure you're picking the right people. Um, I would say, you know, invest into business tutors if you can. Invest into social media, um, and just and just just never stop investing into. It's the one investment that will always return, is if you invest into yourself. Um, from my from my experience, was there a pivotal moment in my social media that boomed? No, there fucking wasn't, and there still isn't. Like I think a lot of people think I've quote unquote, made it. Um, I have 27,000 followers, guys. That is absolutely nothing. I've been doing this for five years. Look at the industry. Uh, Glenn Gillen, who's, you know, got nearly 100. Mike Diamond's 300. Uh, Brandon Harden, 400. Guzman, nearly a million. Jeff Nippard, nearly a million. Matt Ogus, nearly 800,000. Like All these guys have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. So I am very, very far away from even considering myself to have made it in this industry, but I fucking will, and I tell you that much. Um, I've got what these guys have got, in my opinion. I've got the recipe. I just need the, I just need the platform, and I need to be able to get the right collaborations to get myself out there. Um, but the pivotal moment never happened. It was just consistency. Nothing ever boomed overnight. Yes, I had a few videos that boomed, and I got a couple thousand subscribers overnight. But nothing happened on a massive scale like it has done for some people, you know. Mike Diamonds, he was on 100,000 subscribers. He had one video get 15 million views, and then he went to 200,000 in about a week. 100,000 subscribers in a week. Can you imagine? Um, I feel like I'm waiting for something like that to happen, but I think if you wait for something like that to happen, it isn't going to happen. So you've got to go out and get it. Do your research. Think about your, your thumbnails. Think about your titles. Think about your posts and make sure that everything... Um, leads to where you want it to go um so there was definitely no pivotal pull moment and I, and I would prefer it that way because i've learned how to work the hard way so when i do get to that position where i'm in the echelons of the fitness industry and i'm high up and people know me and and and, and i say when because it will be there because i want to make a huge impact on this world i'm going to know that i've worked my absolute bollocks off to get out there um and, and hopefully you guys have seen me do that um so yeah there was no pivotal moment at all 
Sleeping seven hours um, in one go versus taking naps. What is better? Um, so we know that sleep works in sleep cycles. Um, approximately 90 minute sleep cycles, obviously give or take depending on the person. Um, and ideally you want to be getting four to five of these sleep cycles a night, which ends up about seven and a half hours minimum. Um, we know that actually breaking up these sleep cycles is probably a little bit more detrimental to you than having one continuous sleep cycle that you go up and down, up and down, because there is so many phases of sleep. If you were to just, uh, you know, like depending on what your heart rate is, your breathing rate, your, your core temperature, you're in a different phase of sleep. You know, I think there's five phases of sleep or six phases of sleep. And to be able to go through all six phases continuously, you know, through phase one to six, back up to one and back down to six throughout the whole night, um, it's important that you have consistent sleep throughout the whole night. And, and while naps will serve a purpose and you will get um, restorative benefits from that sleep there, odds are it's probably not going to go as deep as, as, as like an extended sleep would. You're not going to go through all of the sleep cycle um, as you would do if you were to sleep longer. Um, however, if you are someone who sleeps less than seven hours in one go, then I would urge you to get naps so you can quote unquote make it up while make while making the sleep up is actually not a thing. You can't bank sleep. Like you can't do 10 hours on Saturday and Sunday and then six throughout the night and then uh, six throughout the week. And for that to average out at seven, it doesn't work like that. Like if you've lost that night's sleep, it's gone. Um, so I'd urge you to try and get a nap if you are under that seven hours um, a week, just to be, just to be on the healthy side. Next question. This guy wanted to know a little bit about reverse dieting and, and, and how does it work? So let's take someone who has dieted for a very long time. Their calories are like averaging 2000. They're averaging like 45 minutes of cardio a day. They are very, very lean, but they're also very, very sensitive to food. Now the reverse diet works like this. Say you've got to, you're on 2,000 calories and I have put your food now up to 2,200 calories. I've given you 200 extra calories of carbohydrates, 50 grams of carbs. Now in giving you that 200 extra calories, I have now given you more energy to output. So while I may have given you 200 extra calories, that may translate into 220 calories extra output. You might work a little bit harder in your cardio. You might work a little bit harder in the gym. So actually, while we put 200 calories extra in the diet, your output has increased 220 calories. So actually, we've pushed you further into a deficit. And a reverse diet is exactly that. It's just slowly incrementing this food up, allowing yourself to adjust and increase your output and you can really make some fast changes here, like every four or five days because your body adapts so quickly um, and just creep in like 25 carb, 25 carb, 25 carb. And if you're patient, you can really just see body fat drop like continuously during this reverse diet and metabolism spike, uh, diet fatigue reduce, training fatigue reduce. And if you can combine that with a deload at the same time, like you just come out of this like huge dieting phase but you're reversing, you've deloaded, and you just fucking explode because you're so sensitive to food, you're so sensitive to training because you've deloaded, um, and you're in this like beautiful middle ground of just being so sensitive to everything. But it's hard, like it's hard once you come out of a dieting phase. Is once you come out of a dieting phase and your and your uh, hunger hormones are everywhere, your leptin and ghrelin are everywhere or suppressed even as soon as you start to feed back up that ghrelin and leptin start to start to fluctuate again and your cravings get so fucking bad it is unreal um any of my clients who have been reversing like you guys can feel me the hunger just gets real but if you can switch that off and you can stay as strict as you can 
while dieting, um, while doing this reverse diet, you know, you do six weeks of this reverse diet, you are primed for a gaining phase and you're eating loads of food and you're doing way, way less um, than you were, were doing before. So I highly recommend the reverse diet. It's not for everyone. Um, if you've really dug and you really need to get kind of healthy, quote unquote, healthy quickly, um, recovery diet would be a little bit better where you're just like literally, you would still reverse, but you would consciously gain like five kilos of fat in the first like couple couple weeks or so and then you'd reverse because you, you're so so lean so so depleted you could afford that fat gain just for hormonal function regulation hunger and all that kind of stuff so you'd have to assess what situation you're in first uh next question coming back from an injury what is the protocol so uh, for those of you guys that don't know or haven't followed me for that long um i had my appendix out last year and it really fucking set me back. I was everything was going really well. Um, I was fine. I literally just woke up, had diarrhea one day, then had loads and loads of pain, and it was excruciating for three days. And I was like, oh, it's just like because I had diarrhea. I thought, oh, it's just a stomach problem. It's just a stomach problem. Went to the doctors. They tested me. My blood was fucking infected, and I had to get my appendix out. Um, and I was gutted. And I was googling so much and researching so much how to come back quickly. And I fucking did. So here is how. This is Josh Bridgman's injury protocol and how to come back. Depending on your injury, of course. Um, I'm just going to use an appendix, appendix as an example. But, you know, you've got to consider where you can load and if you can load, first of all. If you can't load and you can't do anything like that, okay, you're just going to have to rest. But here's the thing. If you can, um, you want to start light. And you can, if you've taken your initial, like, two or three weeks off, you're rested, you're recuperated, and now you're getting back into the gym. Let's take that scenario. Um, I would start everything at like an RPE 6 or 7. So RPE is rate of perceived exertion. If normally I'm training at a 10, which is like a 10 out of 10 failure, I cannot physically move that muscle anymore. Um, I'm going to drop that down to a 6 or 7, and I'm going to accumulate a little bit more training volume in terms of sets. So I may start at 4 sets um, and, and, and work to like a 6 out of 10 failure. Um, if I can do that, if I can manage that. And I'm probably going to do that for two weeks. And then I'm going to go to seven for two weeks. And then I'm going to go to eight for two weeks. And then after six weeks, I'm back up to nine or 10. And I'm raring to go. So literally, just strip back your intensity, increase your training volume very, very slightly, gauge your recovery after each session. If it absolutely wrecks you, you're doing too much. If you're fine and you're recovering, okay, cool, you're fine. You can you can keep going, um, and you should do. Um, but just slowly build back into your previous intensities. If you just jump straight back in, you're going to get injured again, you're going to fucking get a hernia, and you're going to fuck yourself up. So please take your time. Same thing with, with nutrition, right? If you've not been training tracking nutrition, so when I was had my appendix out, appetite was dog shit. All I could eat was the food that I could stomach, which happened to be like Nando's and stuff. <laughs> um but the same thing with nutrition, right? You know, start tracking three meals, then start tracking four. Okay, now you're tracking all five of your meals. Okay, now we're going to start manipulating macros again. And it's just that process of drip feeding things in and allowing them to become a routine again because it's so easy to fall off a bandwagon, and but it's even harder to get back on, especially when you're tracking, you know, if you're someone like me who was tracking sleep, HRV, blood glucose, uh, your digestion, my training performance, my cardiovascular, everything, and then I went to zero. To just go back to 100 again is fucking hard, so you've got to build back into it and take your time building back into it. Um, so yeah, just take your time, build into it, both nutritionally, physically, and mentally as well. 
How sustainable is online coaching for the long term? Good question. And I don't know whether this guy meant it as though it's actually not sustainable for the long term, but I would say that it is very, very sustainable. The thing that I look at the most is 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 the guys who are like top in the industry at the moment. Um, the, the top coaches in the industry, they're all old. <laughs> and it sounds stupid, but like I look at Mountain Dog, you know, he's he's 40, 50. I look at Eugene Teo, he's in his 30s. You know, I look at Cal, he's late, late 20s. Like all these guys, like the best coaches are the oldest ones. Why? Because they've got experience. So actually, I think long-term sustainability of coaching is really, really good. And actually, if you're a good fucking coach, all the experience does is put your prices way up. Um, and you become more exclusive, you become better, you get better results, you can guarantee results to people, um, and you can just put your prices up. So it's very, very sustainable. And in putting your prices up, maybe your people come down, then you can get an even better quality service. Um, So I think personally that online coaching is very, very sustainable. Um, It's limited with your time, and it's limited with the amount of people that you can see per day and the amount of people that you can touch per day, And which is why I'm so big on building my brand right now, because like a, my life goal, my huge, huge life goal is to change as many fucking people as I can for the better mentally, physically, emotionally, business wise, you know, just motivation wise. Like that is my goal. And, and while I can really, really help this, you know, the 60, 70, 80 people that I online coach, um, and I can really get into the, like the, the, the depths of their lives and the groundwork of their lives. And we can build in these amazing routines and patterns and things that will just help them for the longevity and and for the rest of their lives um but that's scratching the surface versus the twenty-seven thousand people that i can contact with my youtube channel like i get twenty thousand views a video that's twenty thousand people that will view one single video and if i can give someone if i can give even a percent even a percent of those people 200 people um an ounce of value or, or something to take that already beats my 80 clients, you know? So the, the, the long goal is obviously in, in building the brand, but the coaching is always going to be there. And the coaching is a big driver for, for, for money at the moment for me. So there's no reason, um, why you can't keep building on it. And, and, and coaching isn't for the long term. you know, and, and even things like coaching academies, um, having a, a few, a few coaches under your own wing, if you're a good brand, um, I think it's a good move, and I think I think there is a long, long list of things that you can do as an online coach to expand your business and to keep improving it. So yes, I think it's very sustainable. On to the last few questions, guys. I don't know how long this is. The annoying thing about when I record these is, and I don't know if anyone out there is into podcasting. I, I record this on GarageBand, 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 and it just gives me like a number. And at the moment, the number is one thousand and twenty-five. Doesn't give me any time. <laughs> or anything like that i think this is about half an hour though um what makes someone's but what what makes someone biomechanically unable to squat so lever lengths someone's got really long femurs or weirdly long tibias um ankle hip knee mobility so so joint mobility uh flexibility of muscle past injuries um so many things need to go right for a squat for you to be able to squat Right, so let's work from the bottom. First of all, your feet need to be fine. If you've got flat feet, if you've got um, externally rotated or internally rotated feet, that's going to put some horrible pressure on your knees and your hips. So first of all, you've got to have good feet. Then you've got to have good ankle mobility that allow um, 
knee flexion to happen, so where your knees travel over your toes to be able to put your quad in extension. Um, so that's, an, that's the next thing. So feet have to be good. Ankle mobility has to be good. Your then knee pressure has to be good. If you've got any internal external rotation, you're going to put uh, pressure on your lateral or your cruciate ligaments, um, which then can reverberate up to your hips, which then can reverberate into your glutes, which then can reverberate into your lumbar. Um, and you just see like the squat has to have like if you think about a squat squats on on the on the shoulders so you've got to be able to collapse at the hips you've got to be able to collapse at the knee you've got to be able to collapse at the ankle and then put the pressure through the foot all while keeping that bar path the same all while collapsing perfectly like it's difficult right it's very very difficult some people are born to squat and you'll see those people because they can fucking squat loads of weight and it looks easy some people who just can't who have to put plates under their feet who have to put plates on the inside of their feet so they don't exit or have to put bands on their knees like you guys just shouldn't squat because there's so many different ways that you can activate the muscles that you're trying to activate um so you just gotta you really just gotta look at is it does it look right does it feel right is it hurting probably don't do it you know um i'm lucky i can squat but i i haven't i haven't hack squatted probably in a, in a long time so um no big deal um how long did it take you to find a rhythm being consistent in the social media and content creator um about five years <laughs> um i did did definitely made like i heard rob lipset talk about building his social media once and he said that he never missed a day of posting for about two years or something so I took that leaf maybe like two or three years ago, I think I heard him say it, and I just made sure I posted every single day for like two years, and I did. And now I'm a little bit like, okay, I can have a day off because I realize that the demand is is still going to be there because I've driven it. But if you're trying to get out there, like you need to be consistent. Um, and I think it was just listening to these top guys that made me realize I actually need to get into a rhythm of doing this. And then once you get into a rhythm, you see the rewards and you see the you see the repercussions of doing it, your following grows, your interaction grows, and then before you know it, um, you're in a great place. You're in a great, great place. Final question. Uh, Would you purposely slow your rate of loss down if you were natural? Um, So rate of loss definitely becomes more important when you're natural because inevitably, if you're on steroids, you're not going to lose as much muscle as most people just because, well, you're not going to lose much. Mu- you're not going to lose muscle because you're on steroids. You got the ability to retain muscle, um, but if you look at a deficit, if you could imagine like a a graph, and you imagine week one to week sixteen, you could imagine the graph starting off very very steep as it as you started. So you'd lose like maybe a kilo a week, you know, maybe a bit more. While you feel fresh, you have got that ability to perform. You have got that ability to drive uh, lipolysis and fatty tissues off. Um, it makes sense to do that. Then as you get leaner, as you get leaner, as you get leaner, your predisposition to lose muscle or not be able to retain muscle increases. So you would taper off that deficit and you would taper off that fat loss per week. And maybe where you're hitting a kilo a week at the start, you know, in the middle, it's only half a week, it's only half a kilo. And then maybe towards the last few weeks where you're very, very close to stage ready, you're literally just taking off um, 100 to 200 grams um, of, of body weight a week and just priming that, that, that body for, for, for that, that phase. Um, so yeah, that's it dudes and dudettes. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, I always enjoy talking about, actually my brain feels pretty good. So, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Don't forget to drop a rating. If you do enjoy, don't forget to drop me a DM tag me. If you, if you post it on your story and you listen to it, tag me, I will repost you on my Instagram. Um, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to 
to drop me a like and a subscribe. And I'll see you soon. Peace, everybody.